Okay, um, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Job. When we were little kids, we'd see the word Job, and we thought it was job. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, this is a book about jobs, how to get a job. And um, I'm excited about this subject because God really gave us this subject we were sitting here at a prayer meeting the other night, and I was just praying, God, what is your theme for Thursday? Uh, not Thursday. Uh, we were there Thursday for March. And um, we're just talking, and then Tara pipes up and says, you know, I think we should, could you, could you teach some time in the life of Job? Because I like when you're talking about characters in the Bible and what they go through. And... When she said that, I really thought, well, you know, that's God's mind, I think, for the, you know, I just had a witness in my heart that this is God's mind for the topic. And so I went home and I just started going through the book of Job and just was so um, excited about some of the new, fresh things that I was discovering. And so by the grace of God, we're going to have five messages on the subject of Job. And uh, each message will be looking at a different aspect of Job's life and what he suffered. And it's not going to be an exhaustive study of the book of Job, but we're going to be looking at the life of Job. And we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. And it's very applicable to you and I. So I think that as we look at his life, we're going to find ourselves relating to a lot of things that are happening. And let's just do some reading here to get a context of what's happening with Job and who he was. The book of Job was a book that many commentators say was written about a man who lived and uh, had his life even before Moses began writing the Pentateuch. It's probably the oldest book of the Bible. And sometimes we look at the book of Genesis thinking that's the oldest book. But really, Job lived at a very early time in human history. We don't know when. We don't know a lot about him, but we do see a few things that give us clues about the time that he lived in. There's some names of different tribes and places that he was involved with. But really, this, the topic of Job is really timeless. It's eternal, and it's something that we could all relate to and gives us a lot of insight about one of the greatest questions that men and women today have. And very applicable. So Job chapter 1 verse 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter and then the first 10 verses of Job chapter 2, okay? So um, listen in if you don't have a Bible. <clears throat> I'm reading from the New King James Version. <clears throat> there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household so that, his, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons, and you know, as we're reading this, picture this in your mind. Try to picture a scene of what's happening in your mind because it's very descriptive. And his sons would go and feast in their homes, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three daughters or three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, 
when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From whence do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and all around them, and all around that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the oldest brother's household. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided them and took them away, indeed they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, another also came and said that Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I have come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to pre- present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From whence do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro, back and forth on the earth. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with the painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. 
and he took for himself a potsherd which, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall, he not ex- and shall we not accept adversity? In all this Job did not sin with his lips. What an amazing story we're reading here. But I'd like to also go to the back of the book. Whenever I read a book, I don't know if you guys did this, but when I was in high school, I don't know what it was. We had a lot of reading in English. And uh, I just wasn't one of the patient people of what was going to happen. You're reading the book like, okay, what's going to happen with this guy and what's going to happen with her? And So I'd always go read the last chapter of the book first. Then I go and begin at the beginning of the book. And that's just the way I was. But... I'd like to do the same thing, same thing here this morning because it gives us perspective of where this is all going. So let's go to chapter 42 of Job and look at verse 12. Chapter 42, verse 12. And I want to read uh, seven verses here, starting in verse 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. He called the name of the first Jemima, the name of the second Kezia, and the name of the third Karen Kapach, and, and so on and so on. And the... Okay, verse 15, in, in, the na- in, the, in all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. My gosh, some of us would not be able to survive the first generation, right? <laughs> you say four generations? Being a grandparent for four generations, that's, that's not going to work. After this, so Job died old and full of days. You know, when we look at the life of Job, we have to keep the perspective here of God's end game. What is God's plan in the life of Job? And today I want to look at Job worshiping, Job the worshiper. Uh, next week we'll cover another aspect of it, but Job the worshiper in suffering. I think it's a pastor, I really need to always keep in the forefront of my mind, and this is really one of the primary motives to teach and prepare all of us to be able to handle these days when they come and to be prepared when things like this happen in our lives so that we don't get caught off guard and miss understand the nature of God. Virtually every one of us either has or will experience some kind of a bitter calamity sooner or later. And we could really make this something that is pretty sure because even though life sometimes looks great, things can happen. And when they do happen, it will almost certainly seem absurd and meaningless and really undeserved when it comes. And many times the hardest things that people suffer is really when it's undeserved. Undeserved suffering. 
that's a hard one to swallow. It will seem to be very absurd. When it happens, we may, really, we may cry out why a hundred times before the cloud will pass over. Most of our grief and pain really doesn't come to us as a form of punishment because we don't look at it uh, primarily as a form of punishment because many times suffering comes not as punishment but as undeserved suffering with a purpose for us to discover an aspect of the nature of God. That's why this book is really so relevant to us because it, the book of Job talks about suffering that comes out of nowhere suddenly and is not in connection with Job's character. I think anybody could read the book of Job and relate to it because Job's character here is really flawless and blameless. Verse 1 really introduces us to the man Job and his character. He was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. So if suffering is intended as a punishment for evil, Job is not a likely candidate. Because he turns from evil because he fears God. And he pursues rights and he avoids evil. So his reputation is blameless. His reverence for God governs all that he does. Verses 2 to 3 describe the way God has blessed him. You can compare that to verse 10. In his righteousness. He had seven sons, three daughters, huge numbers of sheep and camels oxen and servants. And he's mentioned as one of the greatest men of the East. And so this man was very blessed by God in many ways. Verses 4 to 5 describe a specific instance of Job's fear. I like this because it shows Job's integrity. Job was not only a man that was blessed, but he had integrity, which is a rare combination to find these days, being blessed with integrity. And what would happen would be every time that his sons and daughters gathered for a feast, Job would get up early the next morning and offer burnt offerings for each one of them, just in case any of them had sinned or cursed God in their heart. He was an interceding dad. In other words, he was extremely jealous for the, for the honor of God's name. He was very concerned that no one, including himself, would be cursing God in their hearts. He was really a great man. And then... When we skip down to verse 13, we find that calamity hits. It was one of those feast days when uh, all ten of his children were gathered in the house of the oldest brother. The first messenger comes to Job and tells him that the Sabians, which were a marauding group of tribal people, had attacked and stolen all his oxen, asses, and killed all the servants with them. Total massacre. Then in verse 16, another messenger comes and says the fire of God, or probably some kind of um, uh, lightning or crazy uh, electrical event, had, had fallen and destroyed all his sheep and the servants with them. Then another messenger comes and says that the Chaldeans, which were another group of people, had raided the camel herd and taken them all and killed the servants. Finally, in verses 18 to 19, the, the message comes that all of his children were crushed, to death when a tornado or something like that hits the house. Unbelievable. I think, I, I think that that would be the worst case scenario that anybody could ever imagine having them having happened to their family, to their possessions, and their wealth. And so Job had six trials here that happened all within 24 hours. Six major trials. Two of the and listen to this. This is very interesting. Two of the trials were caused by evil men. 
two were caused by what insurance adjusters would call the acts of God. This can happen. Evil men and acts of God could happen. We think of acts of God, things that God, God allows, like Katrina that happened in, um, in New Orleans. We can think of uh, today the, on TV the massacre of Christians that are, that are recorded and that are documented, but many, many, many of them are not documented. The Catholic Church has stated that there's probably 100 million believers today that have been uh, either severely persecuted for their faith or have lost their lives. We are living in an age where more people have lost their lives for the, naming the name of Christ or being associated with Christ than any time really in history. And it's, and it's very quiet. And this, this is the way it's going to go in the last days that Many things that are happening are actually going to be hushed and they're not going to be talked about because people, the media and those that are in charge don't want people to become um, too aware of really what's happening, that they, like frogs, are in a pot, the water is boiling slowly, and before they, and before they find out what the situation is, they're already dead. Another, another trial was caused really by his health. And this infection that he had in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, I researched it a little bit. It was some kind of an infection that created boils or large lumps on the skin. And when they got infected, they broke and pus came out. I don't want to be gross. And what he would do is he took a broken piece of pottery and he would actually scrape these or break them so that they, they, what was inside the infection could come out. And this was not just one. I don't know if you've ever had a boil before. I have. Not just one, but they were from the tip of his head to the bottom of his feet. That, that was a man that was in pain. And then the last trial, the number six, was really caused by his wife. This was the toughest because this was, she was, he, this was the closest person to Job. God took everything away but left the closest person to him, that is wife. And she was actually telling him, to do the opposite of what Job really wanted to do. She said, just curse God and give up the ghost. Throw in the towel, because how could God do... Sometimes people that are closest to us, that we really love, and this is what hurts the most, people that are the closest to us will make conclusions based on what they see, and not by discernment, and not by... under. All of us desire to have that godly friend in our life that would have discernment. Right? And just say, look, this is kind of happening in your life. But sometimes the closest people to us do not have that level of discernment and it causes the most pain because of what they because of what they say. We need to, verses six through twelve, we need to kind of take a step back and see what's happening behind the scenes. Remember, Job is never let in to understand what's happening behind the scenes. And we don't know if Job ever knew, even by chapter 42, maybe we don't even, maybe Job doesn't ever really know what's going on in heaven between God and the conversation with Satan. There's a meeting between God and Satan in verse 7. Satan says that he spends time going to and fro in the earth. What does that remind you of? 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, that the devil is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Then God puts Job on display as a trophy and delights him very much. And I like that. God is not in heaven disappointed with us. 
God is not in heaven complaining to his angels about you, about your, your, your performance, about what's going on in your life. God is like, look at Job. Was Job a sinner? I'm sure he was. And we see later on in the book, he fails. Job fails. Job fails a lot. But what does God say? My trophy, my Job. Have you considered my servant Job? And he boasts. And this is what God likes to do. He likes to take your life and boast to the devil about it. (laughs) Micah 7 verse 8. Micah said, Oh, my enemy, don't rejoice. I have fallen, but I will get back up. Micah 7 verse 8. God likes to boast about you to the devil and likes to rub your life in the face of the devil. We don't even know it. That's why the devil hates us so much. He really hates us so much because God brandishes us to the devil. But Satan is not impressed. In verse 9, he insinuates that Job is not such a great specimen of worship for God or reverence. He says that the only reason that Job fears God is to get rich. (laughs) You know? Yeah, God, you know. Job is happy and loving you and blessing you because you really made him rich. Anybody that would win a million dollars in the lottery or a hundred million dollars in the lottery is going to say, thank God. And so what happens here is God allows Satan to test Job. God is not insecure here. He allows the devil to take a shot at Job. Now, this is an interesting point, and we need to bring, we need to bring this up, that, that God puts limits on how much the devil can do. And I want to look at that in a few minutes. Verse 12, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only upon himself do not put your hands. And so let's look at what's going on here uh, behind the scenes. Um, There's an unseen discussion going on here that goes on unknown to Job. And it looks like a court case, doesn't it? I was reading this and it appeared to me as a court case. Satan is the prosecutor. God is the defendant. And Job is the witness. Think of that. How many of you have ever been in a court case where all three of these things exist? There's the prosecutor that really has, is really motivated to take a, bring a case to, to the judge. God is really the judge and also the defendant in the matter. And, and who is the witness? Job, you and I. You and I are witnesses. In the, and we don't even know what's going on sometimes. And in the courtroom, you know how there's lots of people in the courtroom, the media, the press, all the people that are sinning. These are the angels in heaven, the demons of hell, and those that are saved and unsaved in the earth. These are people in the room watching and engrossed in the court proceedings. Satan tries to cross-examine Job to accuse God. You ever see a cross-examination going on? Tough questions, trying to trap the witness. Uh, You said you were there, and this is what you said, but this doesn't match up. This is the devil trying to cross-examine you and I or Job. It's It's God's nature that's on trial not Job. And that's, in, that's important to remember here, that you and I are not on trial. It is the nature of God that's on trial. When the devil comes against you and cross-examines you and I in the details of life or things that are happening in our life, remember this, you're not on trial because God already saved us. He completed the work. It's God's nature and God's promises and God's word that's on trial, right? 
That's what we have to remember. So when you, so let's not get defensive and insecure when times get tough. Like, oh God, I really hope I don't fail in this trial. Well, guess what? You're probably going to fail at some point, at least in unbelief for a moment. But it's not really that's you on trial. It's the word of the veracity of the word of God and the faithfulness of God's nature. And this is what we see in Ephesians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Look at that verse sometime. It's a beautiful verse, and I'll just read it to you. It says this. It says, To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church or by the witness to the principalities, demons, angels, powers, and in heavenly places. We, every day, are living in a court case. We are as witnesses as Job was. And so Job here does not get to see this conversation, but Job's response puts the devil in the doghouse. After the calamity, Job loses everything. And Job does not react. He does seven things that, and I like this, look at with me these seven things that Job does. Uh, verses 20 through 21. I'm just going to read this verse. Then Job arose, rent his robe, shaved his head, and fell upon the ground and worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Think with me on these seven things. Number one, what did Job do? He humbled himself. He just says, You know what? I'm not, I'm not the issue here. Like when trials come, the devil's pointing his finger at you and I, and he's accusing us, and he's be- he knocks us down, and he starts kicking us. He's acu- and what did Job do? He, just, he got really humble in the eyes of God. He said, you know what? He said, I, he, this is number two. He acknowledged the baseness of his, of his humanity. He just, you know, I'm just a human being. I have a beginning, and I have an end. I'm finite. That's the third thing he did. He said, he said I am, I, he acknowledged that I'm finite, that I have, that I'm a human being, that I, I don't know everything, and I can't stand up and accuse God about something that I have no idea about what's going on. He got really small and humble before God. Verse the number four, he acknowledged God's sovereignty. He just said, you know what, God's got a plan here. Job understood Jeremiah 29 verse 11. You know what? Every one of us need to memorize that verse. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Just memorize that verse. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. That's got to be the base verse in our life about understanding God's plan for you and I. That God's thoughts towards us are peace. God's not upset about what's going on in our life. God's thoughts towards us are peace that we may, and not evil that we may have what? A destiny, an expected end, hope. And this is the way Job was thinking. He acknowledged the sovereignty of God. He said, you know what? I don't understand what's going on right now, but God has a sovereign plan, and I can trust him because in the end of it, I'm going to see something awesome. The the fifth thing was is that Job didn't cry out victimhood. And that's such a big thing today that, that society and this world system capitalizes on, victimhood. You know, we don't want to be victims, and we don't enjoy watching people become victims. But you know something, life, and I don't want to sound trite or just flippant and quoting these kind of slogans, but life is not fair. Life sometimes really stinks. 
and sometimes uh, I, I just, you know, I, last night I was, I, I saw a video of like, um, you know, a, a, um, uh, a funeral procession somewhere in the Middle East. There was all these people, they were carrying uh, someone on, on kind of a stretcher funeral thing and they were all crying and singing and, and um, you know, and then a bomb blew up and it was just mass chaos and there were people laying everywhere just dead. And there, uh, you know what was amazing to see? That in the midst of all these people that were just dead, there there's a couple people getting up and walking away. It's like, it's amazing that sometimes calamity can happen to some people and not to others. Job here did not cry victimhood. He didn't walk around with a victim's complex, like, I'm a victim. So much, is, so much bad has happened to me. And you know what? Bad things happen. I mean, all of us could probably talk about some horrendous things that have happened to us. But Job didn't walk around wearing the garment of a victim. He, number six, he did not blame people. He didn't start blaming like, you know, like, well, you know, sometimes we look for blame and suffering. But number seven, he worshiped the name and the nature of God. He didn't accuse God. And these are seven important things because this is what makes Job in this trial such a testimony to us. Now, did thoughts cross Job's mind? Did Job sometimes doubt? We're going to see that, yes. Job was not always perfect in his confession. He did well initially. And that's what happens a lot of times when, when calamity strikes. We do well, pretty well, in the beginning. But sometimes, later on, when the, when the trial is extended, sometimes we don't do so well. And so what happens here in heaven? We see another glimpse in, in heaven and another conversation. And we see, we see God basically say the same thing to the devil. Have you considered my servant Job, etc., etc.? He is, he is a trophy. He is, my, uh, he is my beloved. And you know what he said to the devil? You, you caused me without cause to allow him to be afflicted. And yet he still blesses my name. And that is when we see the trial we see the trial become more intense and increase. I want to finish with this that there are four intentions that there are really three intentions that that either the devil or God tries to do during a trial. Number one, Satan's aim is to destroy our joy and our understanding of the nature of God. And he uses two weapons to do that. The, the devil will try to, to, to use two weapons in your life to try to steal your joy and to get us to accuse the nature of God. Number one, pain. He'll try to use pain. We understand that. That makes a lot of sense. The devil will try to use pain. But the second thing is something that's not so much anticipated. It's pleasure, blessings. The amazing amount of pleasure and blessings in, in our lives, which really are a underlying characteristic of our culture that we live in the States here, pleasure and entertainment. These two weapons are things that the devil tries to use in our lives so that we would lose our joy and have a false understanding of the nature of God. The second intent here is that God aims to magnify His glory 
and the value of his people. While the devil is trying to destroy the value, God desires that we would understand our worth and our value. And number three, God grants Satan limited power to cause pain. This is very important because Satan is never allowed uh, to roam free without being tied up to a certain measure. He is limited. God says to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only upon himself do not put your hand. In verse chapter 2, verse 6, God says, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. This is interesting because the question could be asked, why does God even allow Satan to do that? Well, we have to remember the end game of God. We have to understand what is God's destiny and uh, purpose in this, that in the end, God want, God has a plan to bless Job doubly. <clears throat> God doesn't want to just do that. He wants to do that and also, also embarrass and um, shame the devil in the process. And I want to just <clears throat> focus on this for a moment. Satan's work is really ultimately the work of God. And let me explain this. This is a little bit of a theological... Uh, I love the book of Job because it, it's a simple story, but it hits some real theological points. Satan's work is ultimately the work of God. Where else do we see this in the Bible? Where else do we see this in the Bible? Think for a minute. Where else do you see something that was meant for evil that was that was determined for good. I know, I know you guys remember, it's Joseph, right? Joseph said to his brothers, what you meant, what was meant for evil, what? God has what? Meant for good, that what? Many lives would be saved, right? We have to remember that every in, evil intent in the world today is going to turn around and it's going to bless God. Imagine that. Every bad thing that has ever happened in your life, every time you were a victim, every time you were taken advantage of, every time you've lost something, every time you were stolen something, every time something you were betrayed or you were hurt or your health, what, you have health issues or whatever is going on in your life, remember this, that this is going to, there's going to be a divine reversal in the end. Because God has a plan to reverse this. That means every failure, every hour of unbelief, God's going to convert to something amazing in your life. That's the way to... I was, last night I was just walking. My wife is overseas in Poland, and it's just me and my dog, you know, and leftovers and fending for myself. Just why, just thinking, you know what? I'm forgiven. I was just thinking about that. I was in the refrigerator doing something. Uh, just staring at it or something and wondering, how do I make food? <clears throat> I can boil water, that's about it. That's why my wife can't go away too long because I'd probably die. <laughs> but thinking, you know, I'm forgiven. Everything's forgiven in my life. I'm forgiven. The issue today is not sin. The issue today is forgiveness. And because I'm forgiven, we can live in the purpose of God. Isn't that great? Even our, fa our worst failures are permitted by God because God's end game is, is that he's going to turn something awesome out of that. And it's not that we live in sin that we could, you know, that the righteousness of God would be propagated. No, that's Romans chapter 6. But everything and every mistake that has ever happened in our life, God wants to convert to a great blessing. And so this is really what we need to understand these last four conclusions. Number one, 
We can say with the psalmist in Psalm 115, verse 3, God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And we can say, as Daniel said in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? What doest thou? We can make this absolute we can make this absolute sovereignty of God the rock on which we build our lives and our church. That, the, that God is free to do what he wants to do. And he doesn't need to consult with us because God is sovereign. When we hear that word sovereignty, nine times out of ten or 99% of the times, we cringe when we hear that, don't we? Well, but, you know, sovereignty, like another will... I want my will to happen in my life. But God's sovereignty, we always need to remember that the sovereignty of God, the end game and the purpose of God's sovereignty is that grace would be revealed in Ephesians 3 verse 10 to the, to the principalities and to the powers. And, and at the end of our lives or at the end of the trial, you know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be on our knees. We're going to be saying, that's why that all happened to me. Praise the name of Jesus. Thank the Lord. And that's what we need to do is to... And here's, here's a very, very important point, verse number two in our conclusions. Job arose, rented his robe, and shaved his head and fell on his face. You know, we're not saying here that we need to be flippant and fake with our praise the Lord, brother. Uh, because when, bad time, when tough times happen, it is hard. And there's tears. There's grief. Uh, the, this is not to... This what we're talking about doesn't replace the suffering because the suffering is still there maybe suffering is not relieved but what does job do he praises the lord in the suffering and it's important to understand that it's okay to pour our heart out to god that when the tears flow and the wives go out to god that we do that that we pour out our hearts to god because when we do that then we allow the holy spirit to comfort us for someone to say that you know, that they've been just diagnosed with cancer and they just say, well, praise the Lord. It could be kind of flippant and maybe they don't value their own life. But a person that understands their life and is diagnosed with cancer or has just had some great calamity in their life, it may hit them hard. And in suffering and in grief, we should never mandate people, hey, you know what? You got to be joyful. Stop complaining. That's not what God is saying here. God is saying that Job poured out, he, he, he had grief and he had suffering and he poured out his heart to the Lord. And, even if, and, and the third thing is, even if God had let Satan take Job's life, we know, that we, would, we know that Job would have said in Psalm 63 verse 3, the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. Job was the kind of person that would have just said, you know what, in the end, this is going to work for the, for the good of God. And and the last conclusion that I just want us to remember is that always remember God's end game because when we understand God's end game, then the praises can begin. Then that's when our heart wants to worship. When we understand, and did, does, does God answer Job's questions? No. <laughs> A lot of questions God doesn't answer here. Job spends chapter after chapter, if you read the book of Job, chapter after chapter asking why and I'm, so, I'm righteous and why did this happen to me? And God doesn't answer any of Job's questions. Actually, he challenges Job. We're going to look at that later. What did Job do? He learned how to worship the Lord. Why? Because he understood that God is good, 
that this is going to end well, that there's going to be a blessing in the end, and I, Job, am going to be promoted by God in the kingdom. And you know something? Thank God that God didn't answer all Job's questions because you know something? We have a lot of answers. Job suffered, but through the life of Job, we have lots of answers. And so we can worship God because we know that the end game and God's plan is really to bless you and I and to reveal His great grace towards us. Amen? Amen? So let's just close in a word of prayer. Maybe we at the... Maybe afterwards we could, you know, have a little time back at the table, questions and answers, if you have any. All right? So, Lord.